So you never know what you're going to get, do you? Yeah. But hey, uh, that's a lot of fun uh, for me. <laughs> Maybe not for those guys, but it's fun for me. But hey, today I want to talk about uh, something weird. Is that okay? Yes, yes it is. Oh, good. Thanks. Uh, I want to talk about a weird thread that runs all through the Christmas story. And it's weird mostly because it doesn't happen to us today. Uh, and it doesn't really happen much else in the Bible. It's, it, we've been talking about expectations. We've been talking about anticipation. And there's something very unexpected that happens in the Christmas story. In fact, this weird thing happens five times, five different times in the Christmas story. So there's this weird concentration of weirdness that surrounds the Christmas story. And maybe the weirdest part of all is that God wants to teach you and me something through all this weirdness. And the weirdness I'm talking about, is, it's not probably what you're thinking. In fact, if I asked you to think about what's the weirdest part of the Christmas story, uh, what would you say? Just think about that for a moment. You might think that the weirdest part of the Christmas story is, is angels coming to visit these shepherds out in the field, but that's, that's not it. Or you might think the weirdness is God himself coming to earth in the form of a baby. That is amazing, but that's not the weird part that I'm thinking about. You might think that the weirdness is like, wise men from some distant land coming to visit a baby they've never met before. No, none of those things is the weird part. The weird part of the Christmas story is that over and over, God communicates to people in dreams. That's weird. And, and maybe for me it's weird because I don't dream. I mean, I guess they say you dream every night, but for me I almost never wake up and remember anything that I've dreamed. Sometimes I might wake up and for a few seconds remember something, but then it's gone. Uh, and those rare occasions when I do remember my dreams, they're so uh, bizarre that they're basically meaningless. Uh, like uh, my sister used to have this recurring dream all the time. She has a terrible phobia of spiders. And when we were kids, she would dream all the time that uh, she woke up and everybody in the family had turned into a spider, like a giant human-sized tarantula. So, you know, my dad would be there like, time to wake up, you know. <laughs> Gave her terrible anxiety. But dreams are weird, right? And, and yet all over, they're all over the Christmas story. And the weirdest part of all is that God uses these dreams, these, these Christmas dreams, to teach us something about ourselves. And so this morning, we're going to look at some of these dreams, and we're going to find out that these dreams have something very important to offer us today. So I want us to look at the Christmas story together. If you were here last week, you know, we started looking at the Gospel of Matthew. There's four different books of the Bible that record the life of Jesus, the four Gospels they're called, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of them share some different perspectives on the life of Jesus. And if you were here last week, you know, we started at the very beginning of the book of Matthew. And Matthew begins this story by rooting Jesus very firmly in history. He gives Jesus genealogy, which helps us understand that Jesus really came. He was a real person and encourages us that all of us have a place in God's family through faith in him. So if you missed that last week, you can always listen to it on our website. And this morning, I want us to continue in the book of Matthew. And the fact that, that Matthew is so careful to root the story of Jesus in history makes what we're going to look at today all the much weirder. Because we have to assume that, that these things are also real and that they also have things, that teach us, uh, t- things to teach us about our own lives. And so we're going to pick up right at the end of that genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, and uh, we'll start in verse 18. You could follow along in your own Bible or uh, take a look at the screens. Here's how it starts. This, uh, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. 
After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. So, in a sense, the whole story is right here. Uh, Mary's pregnant, but not in the normal way that these things happen. She's pregnant through the Holy Spirit, and she has to break the news to Joseph. He, he stays with her. Uh, they have this baby, but not the normal kind of baby, the God-with-us baby, and, and he's Jesus. Jesus is born. So the whole story is right here, conception to birth. But notice the really weird part. Uh, not the impregnation by the Holy Spirit, the other weird part. Right in the middle of the story, Joseph has this dream. And that's weird because that's not the normal way that God communicates. And I don't know if you've ever had a dream that you felt like was a message from the Lord. I mean, God could do all kinds of things. Don't want to put him in a box. But I say it's weird because God has already communicated in different ways in the Christmas story. If you look at the other Gospels, you see that God sends an angel as a messenger, like in the the daytime, right? Uh, He sends an angel to the, the father of John the Baptist, Mr. the Baptist, and, and God sends an angel, to uh, Gabriel, to talk to Mary, the mother of Jesus. So this dream is weird because it's a different way of communicating for God. It's just one more way that God shatters expectations. So, so what's different here? Why would God speak to Joseph unexpectedly in a dream? I think the answer is right here in the text. Look at the passage with me again. Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant. And he knows the truth. I mean, a lot of people would have assumed it was him. He knows it wasn't him. He had nothing to do with it. The text tells us Joseph was a righteous man. So he's, he's thinking hard about this situation. He wants to do what's right. He wants to make the right decision. And it seems that he's made up his mind on how to proceed, right? He figures the only logical explanation is that Mary had some kind of a relationship with another guy, but no need to make it a big public thing. Just keep it quiet. No reason to ruin her life and his. So he makes up his mind. The text tells us he decided to divorce her secretly. And truth be told, that's a big decision. It's clear to me he put a lot of good, hard thought into this because that's no easy decision. I mean, try to put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a minute. He's living his life. Things are going along according to plan. He meets this great young woman, the kind of woman that a lot of guys would love to marry. And they, they hit it off in some way. You know, maybe she likes his sense of humor, whatever. I don't know. There's, they're a match. And so Joseph's getting excited, he's, he's working, he's saving money, probably uh, using their engagement time to build a house so that they can live in, get all settled into this new life. Things are going along great. And then all of a sudden, they're not great. I don't know how he found out about Mary, if it was from her or from somebody else, but he finds out that she's pregnant. And Joseph's smart enough to know there's really only one way to get pregnant, Right? So he has to run through some scenarios in his mind. And of all the possible actions he could have taken, this really is the best. It's the least painful for him, for her, for everybody. So he makes up his mind. 
And after a hard day of work, a long evening of thinking about this situation, he goes to sleep. His whole life has changed. Because he made up his mind, because he settled it for himself, then I think God has to penetrate his dreams in, in this different way. That's why God comes to him in a dream. It's, it's unexpected. It catches him off guard when he's not quite so settled on the matter. Because God understands that the right thing to do is not the thing that Joseph had in mind to do. God has to correct his thinking, and he does it in a dream. So I want us to notice something important about this dream. God gives Joseph a lot of information in this dream. In fact, God gives Joseph information that nobody else gets in the whole story. Notice the angel tells him, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what's been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph learns some important information here. First, he learns that this baby, Jesus, is God. Mary conceives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't ask me how that works. That's never happened to me. All I know is that only God can do that. So he learns that this child is divine. He's God himself. And you could see that Matthew, as he records these details, he has just a little bit of commentary. He tells us this baby is the fulfillment of prophecy, that Jesus is, in fact, God with us, Emmanuel. And it's worth pointing out that Matthew's not the only one who describes Jesus in this way. Of all, all the New Testament authors, they, they identify Jesus as God. They all agree that's a key part of Jesus' identity. So this person who's rooted in history is, in fact, also rooted in eternity. For example, John, one of the other of Jesus' original disciples, he tells us Jesus was God and all things were created through him. That's a stunning statement. The author of the book of Hebrews likewise tells us that God made the universe through Jesus. He goes on to say the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature. The apostle Paul likewise tells us the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Peter, another follower of Jesus, another one of the people who walked and talked with Jesus when he's on the earth, he refers to Jesus in an amazing way. Talking about Jesus, he says, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Clearly, these friends of Jesus, these people who observed him on earth, who spent time with him, they understood that he was more than just a man, more than a normal baby born in the normal way. They all understood that he was, in fact, God with us. And yet I appreciate the thoughts of Tim Keller, a best-selling author, who says this. The opinion of these authors would not mean much, however, if Jesus had shown no consciousness of his own divine identity. But he did. All through the Gospels, Jesus is constantly forgiving sin, which only God can do. He also claims in various places, I'm going to come back to judge the earth. Only God can do that. He claims to have mutual, equal knowledge with God the Father. At one point, Jesus actually says, before Abraham was born, I am. He takes that divine name upon himself. At many times and in many ways, Jesus Christ, a Jewish man, said, I am God. And thousands believed him and came to worship him. So throughout his life, Jesus was getting in trouble for his claims to be God. He was challenged continually by the religious establishment because they didn't meet their expectations. He was so challenging to them, in fact, that they killed him for it. That's the reason he was executed, not because he had committed any crime. He had not. He was killed because he claimed to be God. And, he, and the established leaders of the time, they just couldn't handle it. So they silenced him the only way they knew how. 
So back to Joseph. Joseph thinks he knows what he needs to do. Divorce Mary. Clearly, she's been unfaithful to him. That's the only possible explanation. He's made up his mind until God visits him in a dream and gives him a different explanation. He gives him more information and better information. And I think part of the reason that God gives him all this information is so that he can make his own decision. See, Joseph had made up his mind, then God comes and changes his expectations. God gets his attention in the dream, but God still leaves it up to him to make his own decision. And I think all of us could sympathize with him. I mean, nobody would have faulted him for going through with his plan. He was totally justified for thinking logically and frankly with, with acting compassionately towards Mary. I mean, even though she had done him wrong, apparently he, he was hurt, certainly he was disappointed. There was a lot at stake for him too. But God gives him a gift. God gives him what we might call a, a dream of correction. So Joseph, he gets the full story from God, and he's still left to make his own decision. And ultimately, Joseph acts in faith. I mean, think about it. Consider what the announcement of this angel meant to Joseph and Mary. Mary is pregnant. Joseph knows he's not the father. He decides to break off the engagement, but then this angel shows up in the dream, says, marry her. She's pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Well, it's easy for you to say, angel. But if Joseph marries her, I mean, everybody's going to know this child was not born nine months after they got married. They're going to know that they were already pregnant. So that means that Joseph and Mary had sex before marriage or she was unfaithful to him. As a result, they're going to be shamed. They're going to be socially excluded, rejected. They're going to be second-class citizens forever. He has no way to verify what this angelic dream has revealed to him. He just has to believe it. And he does. He responds to God in faith. So Joseph has this dream of correction, correcting the misconception that he had, correcting his expectations. But I told you there's other dreams in the Christmas story. This weird event happens again. So let's look at another dream moment. Joseph has responded in faith. He allows Jesus into his life, even though his whole reputation is about to be ruined. And this is just Matthew chapter 1. We get to Matthew 2, Joseph's going to find that having Jesus in his life means not just damage to his social standing, but also danger to his very life. Joseph is going to need some courage, and that courage comes in the form of a second dream. When the baby Jesus is born, something else happens that's weird. These foreign dignitaries arrive out of nowhere. They weren't invited to the baby shower, but they show up anyway. Uh, They give presents that are not on the registry, not really fit for a baby. I'm guessing they didn't even bring the gift receipt, whatever. But these guys, uh, they got their own dream. That's a whole other story. That's a whole other weird thing. But we're going to pick up the story with Joseph's second dream. So look with me at Matthew 2, verse 13. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. So Joseph has this second dream, and you've got to figure at this point, he's paying a lot more attention. But still, this dream has to be hard to swallow. He has to go where this child leads him. He hears this message, and he gets up in the middle of the night, begins this long trek to Egypt. But notice the angel tells him, stay there until I tell you. Well, that might be a very long time. Joseph has no say in these plans, has no idea how long he might be there. And scholars assume that Mary and Joseph got connected to a a large Jewish community there in Egypt, so God kind of took care of them in that way. But it doesn't change the fact that they're refugees in a foreign land. 
And for Joseph and Mary, this is just the beginning of Jesus taking control of their lives. And everybody who's ever had a little baby knows that a baby kind of takes control of your life. But uh, in this case, Jesus wants to take control of their lives and all of our lives too. And for all of us, that takes a lot of courage. Consider the things that, that Joseph had sacrificed up to this point. And I, and I can hear you say, well, Mary sacrificed too. We're going to talk about her next week. But for Joseph, he sacrificed his reputation. He chose to believe God, and it cost him some social standing. But that's not all. He sacrificed his ability to name his child. Now, for some of us, that's not maybe that big of a deal, but in this culture, it would be very, very important. And Joseph's asked to set that aside. And now with this dream, the second dream, he's being asked to sacrifice his right to self-leadership or self-sufficiency. See, he doesn't get a choice of where to live, where to raise this child, where to work, go to church, any of those kinds of things. He's just asked to believe, and he has to have the courage to follow God's leading. So being a Jesus follower means you've got to have some courage. And for some, it means literally fearing for your life in countries or places where it's illegal and dangerous to worship Jesus. But for the rest of us, we still need courage too. To be a Christian, you've got to have courage to do something that our culture thinks is absolutely crazy. You have to commit to denying yourself. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, Jesus tells us. We're told over and over in our society to put ourselves above everything. We're told we must always satisfy our own deepest desires. But following Jesus means you put his desire at the center of your life. And that takes courage. I've called this second dream a dream of protection. Protection. God protects Jesus and his parents from danger, but God also protects them from themselves. From a life of complacency, a life of simply pursuing their own safety, their own interests, their own desires. God calls them to something courageous, and he promises to be with them through that. God What's the same thing for you and for me? To protect us from a dull and selfish life and to encourage us towards bold and courageous life, following him. Only God can protect us from ourselves. And that's something that all of us need. But it means we need courage. Courage to trust God even when things don't seem like they're going our way or things don't seem like they're working out the way we thought they would. It takes courage and it takes trust. So there's a third dream that we need to explore. God gives Joseph this dream of correction, a dream of protection, and finally there's a dream of preparation. Look at Matthew 2, verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, because those who intended to kill the child are dead. So he got up took the child and his mother and entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets so that he would be called a Nazarene. So there's actually two dreams here, but they kind of serve the same purpose. They're dreams of preparation, preparing Joseph, Mary, and Jesus for the life that God has in store for them. And notice here, Herod has died, and and Herod was a notoriously 
paranoid leader. He had members of his own family killed even. That's why the terrible uh, slaughter of the babies in Bethlehem fits right into the character of Herod. It's not surprising at all. And yet here Herod has died, and when he died, his kingdom was divided amongst his three sons. And and Herod was a a dangerous, unstable ruler and and a tyrant, and yet Archelaus, one of the sons, was like, you ain't seen nothing yet. He was so worse in in, in many ways. And so, so Joseph leads his family back to Israel, but he doesn't want anything to do with Archelaus. So in the second dream, verse 22, it guides Joseph and his family to a different region of Israel, not under Archelaus' rule. You can see that in the text, God orchestrates all these things in order to prepare Jesus for the life he was meant for. Born in Bethlehem, according to ancient prophecy, and yet raised in Nazareth, according to the prophets. Clearly, God is at work preparing Jesus for the ministry he has next. God's using uh, circumstances that seem inconvenient, that seem uncontrollable, that seem chaotic, all to prepare Jesus to be exactly the person he's supposed to be. And God does the same thing in our lives. He works in our lives behind the scenes, giving us just what we need, just when we need it. But it's often hard to see God's hand at work preparing us, isn't it? So these three dreams, they're weird. They are, to me, the weirdest part of the Christmas story. And yet, at the same time, these are the kind of things that God does all the time. Correcting, protecting, preparing. That's how God works in my life, in your life. So maybe you've never had a dream where an angel appeared to you and told you to move your family but you have been corrected, you have been protected, even prepared for what God has for you. Maybe you've made up your mind so much in your life that you don't pay attention to what God's doing behind the scenes. You couldn't see God work in your life because you'd already made up your mind. You already closed yourself off to the possibility of God's work in your life. And yet, here we are. And maybe you're here just so that God can get your attention today. So let's talk about us. Where do you find yourself this morning? What do you need? God can work in all kinds of ways to penetrate your heart, to open your eyes, to help you realize the truth. And maybe for you this morning, you need correction. Correction from your own preconceived ideas, correction for the path that you're on. If you look at your life, are you really headed where you should be headed? Or do you need some correction? Just like Joseph, maybe you've made up your mind to act a certain way, to decide a certain thing, to live a certain way, but maybe God wants to correct you. Maybe you need something besides correction. Maybe what you need is protection, protection from your circumstances or maybe protection from yourself. Maybe like Joseph and Mary, God wants to protect you from a life of complacency, a life of just meeting your own needs, pursuing your own self-interests, Maybe God's calling you to a life of courage. And maybe the first thing you need is the courage to say yes to God. Maybe instead the season you find yourself in right now is one of preparation. Maybe some things are happening in your life that don't make a lot of sense. Maybe you feel like you're being tossed this way and that way. You can't make sense of it. Well, it could be that God is preparing you for something. God's using circumstances in your life to get your attention. And perhaps that's just exactly what's happening to you right now trying to get your attention, trying to prepare you for something that's next. Well, whatever season you find yourself in, whatever you need, God is ready to provide. Just like Joseph, God will go to great lengths to get your attention. God's probably not going to speak to you in a dream. He might, but he may not need to because God has given us something that's better than a dream. He's given us his son, Jesus. Jesus came to give each and every one of us 
exactly what we need to give us life. Life that is not self-focused, life that's not meaningless, but life that is vibrant and courageous. So maybe God's not speaking to you in a dream, but he might be giving you a sign. In fact, I know you've seen one particular sign. If you've ever been to a concert or a sporting event, or if you watch college game day on Saturday mornings, you've seen somebody holding a sign with a particular Bible verse on it. You know what verse I'm talking about, John 3.16. That's a sign for you and me. It tells us about the great links that God has gone to to get our attention. Listen to what John 3.16 says. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. So God sent his son Jesus to save us, to save you and me from sin and to give us eternal life. Life that's better than the self-centered life we might have carved out for ourselves. In fact, in one of these dreams, the angel tells Joseph the same thing. The angel tells Joseph, you're to name this baby Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came. We filled our stage here with presents, not because we're running our own Black Friday sale. It's because these presents uh, point us to the extravagant gift that God has given each one of us. I don't know how many gifts we have up here, but there's really only one gift at Christmas time. It's the ultimate gift of Jesus himself. God is holding out that great gift to you and to me. But just like God let Joseph make his own decision, he's doing the same for us. He offers us a gift, but he's not going to force himself on us. Ultimately, we have to choose. We have to act with courage. Ultimately, we have to respond in the same way that Joseph did. Joseph, he didn't spend a lot of time trying to verify what God told him in these dreams. He responded to God with faith. He believed that what God was telling him was real and was true and was for his own good. And notice how he responded. He had faith, and that faith changed the way he acted. He changed his life because of faith. And really, that's what God wants for each and every one of us. He still speaks to people today. He still speaks to our hearts, and he still wants us to respond to him the same way Joseph did, with faith. So this morning, we've talked a lot about dreams, but I want to give each of us a chance to wake up. Maybe for the first time in your life, a chance to wake up to what God is doing in your life. A chance to stop and see God's hand at work, correcting, protecting, preparing us for a life with him. Today is a gift from God to you. And just like when somebody gives you a Christmas gift, you don't have to repay it, you don't have to earn it, you just have to accept it. And there's no magic formula for how to accept the gift of Jesus. It's very simple. In fact, it's as simple as A, B, C. A means you admit. You admit that you're a sinner. Just be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. He already knows. You come to terms with the fact that you have a need for God in your life. You know, we talk a lot about uh, Christmas time. We talk a lot about Jesus as king You know, we hear it all the Christmas songs we sang. We sang about it this morning. Christ the Lord, the newborn king, all that kind of thing. One of the things that means is that if he's the king, then you and I are not, right? We all want to be king of our own lives. We all want to live like we're in charge. It's all about us. But the first step to becoming part of God's family is admitting that we're not the king. 
We're not the ones calling the shots. Admitting that we need God, that's the first step. And that means admitting that we're not perfect. We have sin in our lives. That takes a little bit of courage. The next step, B, means believe. Believe that God has demonstrated his love for you through his son Jesus. The apostle Paul says that. In the book of Romans, he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ was willing to die for you and for me, even though he knows the truth about us. We're all sinners. But we don't have to stay that way. God wants to protect us from ourselves. Jesus died and he was raised from the dead so that you and I could be adopted into God's family. Do you believe that? There's one more step, one more thing to do to respond to God's offer, this gift of Jesus. The C stands for confess. God wants you to respond, to ask. That means confessing to God your need for him. You admit to him that you're not perfect. You're a sinner. You believe that Jesus is the solution to your sin problem. He's the the correction and the protection that you need. And you confess. You you say these things to God. And in just a moment, I'm going to give us a chance to do that. So let's take a moment to pray together. That's the way we ask God. Just pray. You don't have to pray out loud. God can hear what's in your heart. And there's no specific words, no magic formula, but I'll just pray, and you can pray along with what I say in your own words. Will you bow your heads with me? Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you love us enough to correct us when we need it and to protect us even from ourselves. And we thank you that you're preparing us for a life with you, a life of courage. And we believe that your son Jesus is the only way we can have that life with you. We want that. We want the work that Jesus has done to be applied to our lives. We want that gift. We want to be adopted into your family. And we confess our need for you, God. And we confess our need for your son Jesus. We ask that you come to us, be with us, make your love a reality for each and every one of us. And God, I thank you that you hear our prayers. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.